Today we're starting a four-week series on frequently asked questions, and these are actually suggestions that we got uh, from the church on the city. Uh, normally, we go, through, uh, go straight through books of the Bible and kind of run all the way through all throughout the course of the year, uh, but what we try to do is take uh, some short breaks from that occasionally. We wouldn't want you to, to pull a hamstring or anything, so we're doing uh, four weeks on some of the frequently asked questions that you've suggested to us. Uh, the, the suggestions came in in about 19 different categories. And our staff looked through them and picked out the four that we thought were the ones that come up the most often, that would be the most helpful for our church in the season that we're in. And then also some of the ones that we decided not to do this time around, uh, we've done recently. Uh, For example, one of the questions came in on uh, what a Christian view of alcohol is, and that's something that we hit last summer. And so you can always go online and download our MP3s for free at graceroadchurch.org or download the app, and those were on July 8th, July 15th. We talked about that issue. And so um, if we've covered something fairly recently, we decided not to do those, or if we're anticipating that we're going to cover some of the things that were suggested in future studies throughout the rest of this year, we decided not to do some of those too. Uh, For example, there were some questions about uh, marriage, about child rearing, and those are good and important questions, but those are some issues that are going to be covered in in a strong way when we go through the book of Proverbs this summer. So, uh, So if your suggestion didn't make the cut, it's probably because it made the cut somewhere else uh, in the life of our church. And also, some of these will be turned into third-floor theology classes, uh, but we, we've picked out four that we think will be helpful for us now. And today's question is, if, if there's a good God, why is there so much suffering in the world? Uh, you know, the question is, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, we, as Christians, we believe some things about God, and we proclaim some things about God that are easy for us to, to proclaim and hold in theory but there's some things that are very um, hard to hold up sometimes when we see suffering in the world around us. Um, so, so let's pray and then jump in. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we, we're coming to you from a broken world. Uh, there's, there's a lot that's wrong around us. Uh, there's evil, there's suffering, there's pain, there's loss. And, and Lord, as we look at your word, it says some awesome things about you. It says that you're God, it says that you're in control, and it says that you're good. Uh, but it's hard for us to, to reconcile those things. So I just pray that you give us the eyes of faith to see you for who you are, uh, to know who you are from your scriptures this morning. Um, Lord, I pray that, that even if a perfect answer isn't given to everybody's heart, that there would be uh, faith that's built in all of our hearts because we know trusting in you and your cross is the ultimate answer to the struggles and to the darkness and the, and the questions we have. Uh, so God, be teaching us and use these four weeks to, to shed some light in some dark areas. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as Christians, we believe some things about God that are tough to to hold to when we see pain that's in our lives. Um, For one, we believe that God is God. Um, That means that he's all-powerful. It means that he could instantly fix everything if he wanted to. Uh, He gets all of his wishes granted because he grants them. Uh, He's he's got all the power in the universe. There's nothing that uh, stops him from doing exactly what he wants to do. We believe that he's all-knowing. Uh, He he knows everything that there is, including the future. And we go as far to say that God is in control of things, ultimately. A couple passages for that. Isaiah 14, 24, it says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. So according to the scripture, God has a plan, he has a purpose, and it happens. Ephesians 1, 11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So we have a God who has a plan and a purpose, and his plan and purpose get accomplished. 
we also have a God who works all things according to the purpose of his will. So we believe that God's in control. Uh, we, we believe that he's very much here and that he's very much in charge of things. He's running things and has never stopped running things. But also we believe that God's good. And this is all throughout scripture. Psalm 136.1 says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. So the Bible says God's in control and then it says he's very good and he has steadfast love that will always endure. So we can say those things, and those things we can affirm on our good days. When things are going well for us, when, when you get the raise, when the family's healthy, when relationships are good, uh, when everything's good in your life, then it's easy to say, God's in control, and God's good. So, so I am happy, and I know that these things are true. But the problem comes when the world doesn't look like both those things are true. Whether it's the world that we see in the news, or it's the world that's happening in our lives, our lives don't always look like there's a loving God who's in control. Because there are things around us that go very wrong. There's pain and there's evil and there's suffering that doesn't make sense. We can read the news and we can see that as as bad as things might be for us, there are people who have it far worse than us in other places. So that poses a challenge. Uh, Atheist Christopher Hitchens, when he was alive, he cited the example of uh, the girl in Amsterdam who was locked by her father in a basement dungeon for 24 years. And, and her dad fathered seven kids with her. Um, nobody knew that she was down there. And, and this is what Hitchens said. He said, imagine how she must have prayed every day, how she must have beseeched heaven. Imagine for 24 years and no answer at all, nothing. He goes on and he says, and all heaven did was watch it with indifference. So that's a challenge. It's hard for us to look into that situation and say God's good and God's in control. Because that girl for 24 years in a dungeon is not feeling that, is not experiencing that. A couple nights ago, our son Hudson just started crying in the middle of the night, and that's not like him. He sleeps through the night. He's a good sleeper, like his dad. And um, so so I heard him crying, and um, and I figured, you know, two years old, he's having a nightmare, whatever two-year-olds have nightmares about, and went in, and just because I could do something about it, I picked him up. It took about 30 seconds of just kind of hugging him, um, not shaking him because you don't shake a baby, but bouncing him. And then uh, in, in 30 seconds, he's pointing back at the crib. He's happy now. He wants to go back. It was a nightmare and it's over. So as a dad who loves my son, I want to rescue him from a nightmare. If he, he's crying, he's scared for whatever reason it is, if I can do something about it, I want to step in and do something about it. So I stepped in, did something about it, and he went right back to sleep. But what do we do with the fact that there are people who have living nightmares, there's a God who could do something about it. We say that that God is good and loving, but he doesn't step in and do something about it. And the big global questions, they pose a big problem. You know, Ben Folds in one of his songs, he says, now how come if there's a God, we get Darfur? You know, there's all this suffering, there's genocide going on, and we're claiming that there's a God. But I think sometimes the problems that give us a harder time with our faith are not necessarily the ones that we read about in the news. And we can keep those problems quarantined a little bit inside our theory and keep them, keep them away from us because they're so distant. It's easier to explain it away. But when suffering comes into our lives and pain comes into our lives, it gets harder uh, because we've got this issue that may not be as big as other people's issues, but it's really close. And so we've got the financial problems or we've got the relationship problems that seem like they won't get better or we've got health problems that are just not going away 
or there's loss, or there's pain. And when we see all that, it's hard for us sometimes, as individual Christians even, to believe that God is good and that he's all-powerful and in control. You know, if we believe that he's good, it almost seems like he's not really controlling this thing well. He's incompetent. He's kind of like you know, Homer Simpson sitting at the switches of our lives because it's so chaotic. And if we believe he's really God, then we almost have to believe that he's cruel because look what he allows to happen when he doesn't step in and intervene. So this whole thing brings up serious questions about God's existence, and even if we believe he exists, it brings up serious questions about his trustworthiness. You know, if there's a God who's going to allow this kind of thing to happen and could stop it, is that a God that we can trust? So that's the issue. That's the question. There's bad stuff in the world, there's bad stuff in my life, but we say God's good and we say he's in control. So what do we do with this? I think the first thing that a lot of people do with this is they become atheists. And this is a big deal. This is what people are doing in the United States. In the last 18 years, the percentage of atheists in the United States has nearly doubled. Um, It's gone from 8% to 14% in in the last 18 years. Uh, All around us, there are prominent atheist authors, atheist comedians, and atheism is absolutely rampant on college campuses. Uh, If I had to guess, just from the student groups I've talked to at RIT and U of R, I would guess we're looking at close to 50%, at least in the college years, of people who would say that they have no faith at all, that they're agnostic or atheist. And so that's, that's what a lot of people do. And, and the truth is, atheists have a good explanation for the chaos in the world. Um, you know, that, that things are so chaotic and things are so bad, that lines up really well with the atheistic explanation of all things where they're basically just naturalistic causes for the existence of the world. Um, if, if everything just sort of emerged out of chaos, then the fact that chaos continues today, that makes perfect sense. So atheism can explain that chaos. They can explain the pain. They can explain all the, the horror that's going on in the world around us. But here's what they can't explain. They can't explain why we know that this stuff is evil and why we know that the world shouldn't be that way. Because why would we feel that way if we just emerged out of chaos? If all we ever knew was chaos, and our whole purpose, there was no purpose in our lives, we were just these beings that emerged out of chaos, then we would look at all the chaos and feel right at home in it, and it would feel totally normal. But we look at the world and we say, things shouldn't be the way they are. We know that that shouldn't exist. We know there shouldn't be a Darfur. We know there shouldn't be an earthquake in Haiti. We know there shouldn't be relational suffering and pain. So why do we know that? Why do we get that sense? You know, if you own a pet snake and then you go to the pet store to buy some of the bargain basement feeder mice and then you bring those mice home and you put them in the snake cage or tank and then the snake eats a mouse, you're probably not horrified or shocked or surprised in any way. In fact, that's why you went to buy those mice. You expected that the strong would eat the weak. And so you put that mouse in there, and you know that's just the way of things. That's just nature. That's what's going to happen. That's what snakes do. They eat mice. So, so you bring them, you feed them, and, and all the chaos, all the pain in that mouse's life, totally expected, and that's exactly the way the world should be. So why is it that when people act like that, where the strong oppress the weak, the strong eat the weak, why do we look at that and say, that just shouldn't be? And the answer is that we don't have just chaos and naturalistic causes as the the explanation for why we're here. We have more than that. We have a God who's in control of things, and we know that things should be better. 
We know there shouldn't be suffering. We know there shouldn't be death. We know a girl shouldn't be locked in a dungeon for 24 years. And the reason that I, we have a conscience that says that is because there's a bigger explanation than just the chaos for everything. Atheism doesn't answer the question. So while we may be tempted to run after atheism because it seems like it can explain the chaos, it doesn't explain the questions that we still have. So the second thing that we try to do, and Christians will try this sometimes too, is we try to change our beliefs about God. Um, for one, we'll say that God is not in control anymore. We'll say what deists say, where God basically took all of creation, wound it up like a clock, and then walked away. And he hasn't paid much attention. He's not inter inter intervening at all. He's just letting nature run its course. And so all the chaos can be explained because God is elsewhere. He's not paying attention. He's so far above everything that's going on here that he just doesn't relate to his creation at all. But the problem for us as Christians is we believe what the Bible says about God. And the Bible teaches something altogether different than that. You know, in the verses we looked at, but then listen to Matthew 10, verses 29 and 30. Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So according to Jesus, God is very much involved in the creation here. Um, we, we try to get him off the hook by changing what we believe about him and believing that he's not in control. But Jesus said, no, it, he knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows when a sparrow dies, and he says, you're more valuable than they. So he's still very much involved, very much in control. Um, another thing we'll do is we'll say that God is not God because he has some limitations that are put on him, um, that he doesn't really know the future. There can be things that will happen and surprise him. And this is the open theist response to the problem. And an open theist is someone who believes that God doesn't know the future because the future is not really a thing to be known yet. You know, because there is no, God knows everything, but the future's not a thing, so he doesn't know that yet because it's just not here yet. And so they would say that God can be just as much surprised by, by things that show up as we are. But again, we go back to the Bible, Psalm 139, verse 1 through 6. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful, me, for, too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. So he says that before a word is even on his tongue, God knows it. So we can't change our definition of God and say that he doesn't know the future. We can't say that he's limited in that way. So what some people will then try to do is they'll say that God has limited himself and he won't impose upon the free will of people. Now, this is an explanation that a lot of Christians like, and there are places where God uh, submits to some limits on himself, especially in the incarnation of Jesus. Where Jesus comes, and even though he's God and could be anywhere instantly, he walks places and gets tired. Um, he, he has to drink because he's thirsty. He has to sleep. He needs to get away from the crowds to rest and be with his Father. So he allows some limitations to be put on himself. So can we say that the reason that there's all this chaos and all this trouble in the world is because God has limited uh, his, his ability to be God or has allowed himself to be limited by human free will? Uh, this, is, this is how Bruce Almighty solved the issue. Um, in, in the movie Bruce Almighty, God comes and he gives all of his powers to Bruce, and basically the challenge is, Bruce, you, you, you do a better job. 
You know, you think you got this place figured out? You try being God. So he gives him all of his powers, and he gives him the one rule that he can't impose himself on people's free will. And then Bruce comes back to God, and he says, how do you make someone love you without changing free will? And then God, Morgan Freeman, says, welcome to my world. So, so, the, so God has this one force that's stronger than him, which is human free will, and, and whether he's chosen to limit himself by it or he's been naturally limited by it, he won't impose himself on that. Now, I would say this. God does allow people to make choices. I think we, we do make choices. But the idea that our free will somehow always trumps the will of God puts us in the place of God instead of him. That he's actually sovereign over everything. And there are plenty of times all throughout Scripture where God does impose himself and change people's wills. And even if we, we bought into that whole explanation that God just won't touch free will and that's why bad things are happening in the world, it doesn't really get him off the hook. You know, if I, if I go to the park with my kids and I bring them there and, and you know, you go to the park and I'm not looking to get in a fight with someone at the park, um, unless it's like a Monday, Mondays are bad days, then, then it might be fun. But uh, so I go there and, and bring all my kids to the park and they're playing and I'm sitting there on a bench and, and all of a sudden I hear a kid right next to me screaming, this isn't my dad. And I see a guy grab this kid and walk off with him. And then and he's screaming, he's fighting and kicking, and, and I say, listen, I don't want to impose. Uh, I'm not, not going to jump in. That guy's got his own free will. Uh, I don't want to step in and stop him from using his free will. He's a free person. This is a free country. Just, just let him go. And then the police come, and they take the police report, and, and they say, well, why didn't you jump in? Why didn't you stop it? And, and I can't say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a pacifist, because I don't believe that. I think pacifism is bad in a situation like that. We're supposed to jump in and defend people. What I have to say is, you know, he's got his own free will, and I didn't want to mess with that. You know, I, I just believe in his freedom. The police won't say, oh, well, that's a valid explanation. They would say, what's wrong with you? Like, why didn't you jump in there and fight? If you could have stopped this from happening, why didn't you get in there? So, so me saying that his free will trumps me jumping in to fight doesn't get me off the hook. You know, it's not right to allow kidnapping or to allow murder in the name of someone else's freedom. You know, generally, I do believe in you know, living and let living, let people do what they want to do. But when they start to victimize somebody else, I'm supposed to jump in and fight for them and I'm supposed to help them. So even if we say that God has limited himself by human free will, that doesn't get him off the hook. Because why would he choose to do that? Why would he choose to do that knowing how much damage would come as a result of that? And then not only that, if we start to, to put God into that box and say that he can't intervene with free will at all, then that's not a God who can give us a lot of comfort and hope to get through our suffering. Because if free will is the one thing that he can't touch, then who's going to use his free will to hurt me or hurt my family outside of God's control and outside of God's care? If that's the one thing he won't mess with, there's an awful lot of bad things that could happen to me under free will. If I really believe that my will, will or human will can trump God's will in all circumstances, then I can't believe that God works all things together for my good. Because human will is a pretty big thing that he's not touching and not working out for my good. So, so we turn to atheism. We try to get God off the hook by changing our definition of God. Another thing that we tend to do, if we don't do those things, is we tend to blame the victims. And this is where, where a bad thing comes into your life, and we say, whatever it is that's coming into your life, you had it coming. It's basically the karma system, where, man, there are terrible things that are happening to you, so what have you done? And, and this is a popular way to think. This was popular in Jesus' day. 
Um, if, in fact, if you want to turn to Luke 13, and while you're going there, I'll just tell you what happened in John 9. Uh, Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and they walk by a guy who, is, who was blind from birth. And that is the question that his disciples ask is, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they walk by a blind guy. He had always been blind. And the only explanations they have are, number one, this guy's parents sinned, and so they had this coming. Or number two, this guy sinned himself, so they had it coming. So he had it coming. And so they ask Jesus that question. They say, say, who sinned, this man or his parents? Why was he born blind? And Jesus answered, it wasn't this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. He says there's actually another explanation for why he was born blind, and then he goes on to heal him um, because he gets to show up in the Bible now. Like He gets to have this story written about him. There's something else going on that didn't even occur to us. But that was a common view. If something bad happens to you, you've done something bad. And so the suffering is deserved. Whatever it is, you did something wrong. If your marriage is bad, it's because you were making wrong choices a long time ago. Uh, If your work is bad, it's because you made foolish choices, and everything that's bad in your life is 100% laying on your shoulders. Look at Luke 13. Luke 13, verse 1. Some guys come up to Jesus and ask him about a disaster that happened. It says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So there was this major calamity that happened. There are these guys who uh, get killed by Pilate, the ruler, and they mix their blood with the sacrifice. He's making some kind of example out of these guys. And so they come up and they tell Jesus about this. And it says, and he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So his answer for them is not that these guys didn't deserve it. In fact, he says, everybody deserved it, but these guys didn't deserve it more than anybody else. He says, in fact, unless you repent, you'll perish in the exact same way. So in one sense, yes, we do deserve suffering. And anything bad that happens in our lives, we actually deserve worse than that because of our sin. But when we start comparing ourselves to other people, it's totally outlandish to say we deserve that much suffering more than somebody else did. In fact, if you keep going, in case we missed it, verse 4, he says, Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So in their day, they had some towers fall. Um, So this was their kind of a mini 9-11. And so we have all these people in the buildings on 9-11. The buildings fall on them and kill them. Do they deserve it? Well, all of us deserve death. The wages of sin is death. But do they deserve it more than me? And Jesus says no. So there isn't a one-to-one correlation between the bad things that happen in our lives and something that we've done. Now, sometimes there is a correlation, and it's really clear. You know, sometimes we do reap what we sow. You know, if, if you have a hangover, the reason you have a hangover is because you went out and sinned. You got drunk, and so now you're suffering the consequences. And sometimes that can happen. So if you have a hangover, you don't need to be asking, man, why do bad things happen to good people? No, sometimes bad things happen to drunk people. Like it's a, and, and you've done that. So you're reaping something that you've sown. And while that happens sometimes, and, and there are plenty of consequences that we do reap from our sin, we can't say that all suffering, all bad things that happen in our lives is because of a sin that we committed. When there is a correlation, we'll see it. 
it'll be clear, but we definitely don't want to say that there's always that one-to-one correlation. And we especially don't want to counsel somebody else by saying, well, what did you do? You know, here's someone who's suffering through pain or loss or grief, and we're saying, well, man, how is it that you had this coming? You must have done something. You know, let's really dig it out and figure out what you've done to, to see that your, your uh, father is sick like this. What, what kind of sins have you committed? That's not the way Christians think. Jesus says, everybody deserves it, and when suffering comes into a life, we shouldn't say that one person deserves it more than somebody else, unless there's that very clear correlation between our sin and what we're reaping. So, so what do we do? We, we can't become atheists. We can't change the definition of God and throw the scriptures out. Uh, we, we won't be able to get him off the hook with just the free will argument alone. So what's the Christian response? How do we handle the fact that there are bad things that happen to people who are no worse than anybody else, who definitely don't deserve it more than anybody else, but it still seems like the, the universe is not run in a way that's just? For one, as Christians, we accept what the Bible says by faith. And I know that's not always an acceptable answer, but we do believe that what it says is true, even if we can't see how it's true. And the Bible does say that God is ultimately in control of all things, and the Bible does say that God is good. Now, we do have to be cautious. Something else it says, this is James 1.13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So God's not the author of evil, but evil does work into his plan. You know, the ultimate example of this is the crucifixion of Jesus, where the worst sin ever committed is Jesus gets nailed to a cross, and and bad people come and they sin by murdering the Son of God. But in the Old Testament, it says that it pleased the Father to crush him. So in one sense, God absolutely hated that sin and is not the author of it, but then in another sense, it does fit into his plan to ultimately work all things out for his glory and for, for our good. Some of these things, we won't see the connections, and we just have to believe some of them by faith. Listen to what Isaiah 55 says in verse 8. He says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what we take comfort in as Christians is that God is God, and we're not. He has higher ways than us, He has a bigger picture view um, than than we could ever have. He sees everything. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, um, the way he handled some of these things that we can't really make fit in our mind, is he said they're like two roads that are parallel to each other on the map. Um, Like if you go into Henrietta, East Henrietta Road and West Henrietta Road are parallel roads. And if you look just at a map of Henrietta, you would say those are parallel roads. They don't intersect. They they never touch each other because look at them. they're, They're parallel. But if we back away and look at a bigger map of the region, we see that they do end up touching each other over where it becomes Mount Hope. They, they, they do intersect. But because we've only got that small map of Henrietta, because we don't see the big picture, we just look at it and we say these two things would never touch each other. When we talk about God's goodness and God's control in a world that's full of pain, we don't always have an explanation. We don't always see how those two things could possibly touch, especially in our suffering and when we look at the horrible suffering in the world around us. How can we say God's good and God's in control? Sometimes the answer is, I don't know, but I don't have the whole picture. Being a Christian means that we submit to a wisdom that's higher than ours, to a God that's bigger than us, 
into a God that's doing something that we may not be able to understand. We're saying that he is God and that we're not. And that the ultimate test of whether something is true is not whether I can understand it or not. I recognize that I have this tiny little pea brain compared to God and that there's an awful lot that I just won't get. So as Christians, we do believe that. We also have all kinds of stories in the Bible of people who go through suffering that while they're going through it, there's no way they could ever say God's good and God's in control and really believe it deeply in their hearts. You you take Joseph, who is beaten by his brothers and thrown in a pit. And he may have done some things to deserve it a little bit. Uh, He may have rubbed some of the things God was doing in these visions he was giving them in their face a little bit. But he definitely didn't deserve to be thrown into a pit. But Genesis says that he screamed out for his life nobody's coming for him. And then finally, they decide to be nice and take their brother who was righteous and God was blessing, and they sell him into slavery. So he goes from being the favorite son to being a slave. Then he goes, and wherever he is when when he's a slave, God just prospers what he does. And so he just works his way up the ranks. He gets to where he's in charge of Potiphar's household, and then he gets falsely accused by Potiphar's skanky wife. That's a bad day too. And so all of a sudden, Joseph now is being accused of of trying to sleep with her when it was actually the other way around. He gets thrown into prison. When he's in prison, people are forgetting about him. I mean, there are chances where he should have gotten out and he doesn't get out. Probably as he's going through all that, he's having some doubts. He's probably saying, what did I do? How could my life possibly go this bad when I really didn't do anything to deserve this more than anybody else? But then we get to see the rest of the story. We see how his life unfolds. We see how he rescues really the world from a famine that's coming and then rescues God's people from that famine so that they can survive. And so eventually Jesus Christ can come from that line. And here's what he says at the end of Genesis, Genesis 50 verse 18. It says, His brothers also came and fell before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. There's no way when Joseph was in the pit, he was saying this. He wasn't in that pit saying, God means this for good. He he was crying out. He was screaming for his life. But then at the end of the story, when he's rescued all these people, rescued his brothers, he can say, you meant it for evil, and I didn't see how God was good and God was in control when I was going through it. But today I can see it because look at all these people who are kept alive. Verse 21, so do not fear. I'll provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So God will take evil that we go through for decades that we don't understand, that we can't comprehend. We don't see his goodness in it and he'll turn it out for good. And in fact, that's a promise that he gives to Christians. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So he is working things for our good even when we can't see it and we're not the ultimate judge of what could possibly be used for our good or what could possibly be used for the good of the world that we live in. God knows what he's doing even when we don't get it. I'm sure a lot of us have had those experiences where we look back at them and say, man, when I was going through it, I had no idea what God was doing. It looked horrible, it looked cruel, but now on the other end of it, I see exactly what he was doing. There's joy now. You know, when, you, when you take your little kids in to get their shots, you don't, they're not saying, I see how this is good. They're saying, this looks horrible. All they see is the horror. 
But then a few years later, they're able to look back and understand it and say, okay, I see what my parents were doing now. They weren't just torturing me. I remember when we took Lydia, she had to get um, allergy test while she was really little. We had to hold her down while they came and just poked her back with, I don't know, 50 different little needles to, to test to see what she was allergic to. And there's no way that a little baby is thinking, oh, this is good. This is, you know, obviously parents are good. No, they're saying something's gone horribly wrong. My parents are being cruel. But then at the end of the day now, she understands what it was. Doesn't remember it, but she can understand it. And that's the way it'll be in our lives sometimes. Uh, sometimes we don't get what he's doing, and sometimes, especially when we're in the pain, we, we're trying to look for answers, we're trying to find them, but the ultimate answer that we need to cling to is that we just need to trust him and trust that he is doing something, even with stuff we don't see him using. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So sometimes he's teaching, he's speaking, and he's doing something that we don't get, but is somehow for, for our good and for his glory. And you look at all of it and you say, well, man, this whole thing just seems still a little bit cruel. You know, God's up in heaven and he's putting us through like rats in a maze and there, there are all these little tortures along the way. And he's saying, don't worry, at the end, I'm going to work it out for your good and for my glory while he's up there just kind of removed from the whole thing. And we can say all that unless we really believe in the cross. Uh, Tim Keller, when he was explaining this, he was saying that the cross doesn't give us every answer to why there's suffering in the world, but it does tell us what can't possibly be the answer. And here's what can't possibly be the answer. The reason for our suffering can't possibly be because God doesn't care, because he showed us his love on the cross. It can't be that he doesn't understand the situation because he went through it. The Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way that we're tempted, but was without sin. So he does care. He died for us. He did go through it, so he does understand it. It can't be that he's just removed from all of this. Any suffering that we go through, any sense of loss, any sense of pain, he endured too. Now, on the cross, the father lost his son. On the cross, the, the son experienced the pain of rejection by his father. Jesus experienced loneliness. He was rejected by God, forsaken by his friends. He experienced injustice, where he was falsely accused. He was tortured. He experienced physical pain beyond what most of us will ever experience. So he suffered too. So that question that we ask, can I trust a God who allows this? The cross is our answer. Because the God who allows this is also a God who went through it. A God who endured it with us. A God who was on the cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he was saying on the one hand, you're my God, I'm clinging to you, but I'm forsaken. And we feel that sometimes. Maybe not to that same extent, definitely not to that same extent, but we feel like God's God and we don't want to let go of that, but at times it just feels like he ditched us. And the promise of the Bible is that he actually went to the cross and went through it too. So we have a Savior that we can trust, a Savior that we can cling to even when we don't understand things. And we also know that at the end of the day, at the end of the story, all these things that are sad and broken do end up coming untrue in that new creation. That God does make all things new. That when Jesus rose from the dead, when he was resurrected, 1 Corinthians 15 says that he was a first fruits of all of the rest of those who would rise from the dead. That we're going to die, this creation dies, 
but it resurrects. There is new life, and there is a future, and there is hope. Now, we don't have an answer for every question. We can't, we can't tell you the reason for all the suffering that goes on. We can't look into Darfur and say, well, here's everything that God's doing. But we can look at the cross and say, we know that he loves. We know that he died. We know that he suffered too. And we know that he's going to make all things new. So as Christians, our response is not to have all the answers, but it's just to trust. Sometimes when little kids don't know what's going on, they have to just trust their parents. They have to trust that their parents know what they're doing, know what they're putting them through, and that their parents, because they are good and because they are in control, would only put them through what's necessary for the kids to have their ultimate good. It's hard, and this is, this is where faith comes into play, because we're, we're, we're taking some faith in some things that we just don't see. But it's the best answer we've gotten, and I think it's a good one. We're people who trust in God, and we trust the cross. Uh, for now, if we could just bow our heads and close our eyes for a second. You know, it's, um, it's easy to look at God as if we're his judge, to ask him to, to submit to us and explain himself to us. But the message of Christianity is that it's actually the other way around. Uh, he's the creator, and he's the judge of us. The scary news is that the Bible says we have all sinned. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We all do deserve death and suffering and hell. But the good news is that God is a good God, and so he came to us. Jesus Christ, who's all God and all man, lived the perfect life that none of us could live. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again. So, so becoming a Christian is not about becoming religious. It's not about joining this church or some other church. It's not about doing a bunch of good works to get God to like you. It's about just trusting in the work that he did for us. So if you're here and you recognize that you're far from God, you don't have that relationship with God, you still have your sin on you, you still have the guilt, you still have that, that judgment of God hanging over you like a cloud, then turn from sin and trust Jesus. Trust that Jesus died and was buried and rose again. Trust that he did that for you to pay the price for all of your sin. And the Bible promises that if you trust in him, you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. Because the death that you deserved, he died for you. The life that you didn't deserve, he offers you in his death on that cross. So today, in the quietness of your heart, and whatever words you want, you can just say, God, I know I'm sinful. I know this is true. But I'm turning to you and trusting in your cross. Trusting in your cross is the way to get my sins forgiven. But then I'm trusting in your cross as the explanation for everything, even for the stuff I don't understand. Christians, we don't always see it, but we've got a good God and a powerful God. Sometimes it's much easier said than believed, but he is a God that we can trust because he's always good and he's, he's still in control of everything. There are no surprises that come his way. There's no limitation on his power. And so when we suffer, we can trust in the one who went through it for us and who loves us and is good and controls all things for our good and for his glory. Father, uh, you are higher than us. Your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. So God, help us to trust you. Uh, Lord, at times we doubt. At times we go so far as to judge you. 
But Lord, we confess our lack of faith, our lack of trust. And help us, Lord, I just pray that you'd renew our, our vision of you this morning so that we could see you as totally good and totally in control, as a great rescuer, a great savior, as a God who loves. And God, we don't have all the answers. We still are in a little bit of darkness here, and we know we're, we're seeing some things darkly. But we know there's coming a day when, when all things will be made new, when there will be answers, when faith will become sight. And I just pray in the meantime that we would walk with you and trust you just as faithful, trusting kids. God, renew our hearts and, and help us to believe. Help us to believe in your gospel this morning. And I pray this in Jesus' name.